Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. I'm excited to be back here for season eight of The Lead and my last season as your host. Let's make it a good one. In this episode of The Lead, I interview Tony Rehagen, a freelance long-form magazine writer whose work has appeared in ESPN's Magazine, Atlanta Magazine, Men's Health, and the Columbia Journalism Review. In this episode, we discuss his writing process, life as a freelancer, and how he grew up in a gas station. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Welcome to the show, Tony. Welcome to Grady. Is this your first time in Athens? Uh, it is not. No, I've been here a few times. I was uh, When I was a staffer at Atlanta Magazine, I did a couple stories down here. And uh, when I was living in Atlanta, I came to speak to one of uh, Rebecca's classes. Rebecca Burns was a teacher here um, before, right after Dean Davis, who was a former teacher of mine at Mizzou, started here. Yeah, I, I'd love to start with your with your background on, on how... It's sort of a six degrees of Kevin Bacon situation really with really uh, Dean Davis. You are a former student of Dean Davis's from Mizzou. So what drew you to magazine from that beginning? Um, it's interesting. It really didn't happen organically at all. Uh, I kind of backed into journalism. Um, didn't, uh, didn't really know the journalist was an option growing up. I grew up in a town of like 300 people in rural Missouri. Uh, no school newspapers. Uh, didn't really consider it much of a, much of a career choice. Um, I was a musician, but basically, um, I like to write and you can't really go to college to be a rock star. And so I went to Mizzou and they have a good journalism program and I thought that was more interesting than, uh, English. And so I started writing newspaper journalism and from there I kind of got into long form feature writing and really the the best place to do that is, is magazines. And so that's eventually after I kind of got, gotten sick of newspapers, that was the next step for me. So what is it about long form magazine style writing that um, that you enjoy more than say just a typical beat reporting for a newspaper? Um, the biggest, the best thing about it is that you kind of have a time, you have time to kind of jump into it. Um, you have repeat interviews, you get to spend time to get to really know people. Um, you, you get to, uh, multiple scenes with them multiple times. Like on the newspaper beat, I mean, you, you bring, you build your beats and you get to know people, but uh, it's really a parachute in, parachute out. I like being the guy like, I, I talk about this when I when I cover court trials, when I'm writing crime stories. I get to be the guy that hangs back while the reporters are all sticking their microphones in the face of, of the you know the defendant, um, trying to get things now for their for their deadline. I can hang back and be like, "My name's Tony. This is my card. When you're when this is over, like a week from now, give me a call and we can sit down and have, I'll, you know I'll buy you coffee or something." So I, you really, it's the time you get to invest in the story, and that makes it richer and a little bit deeper. So you've served on staff for a number of publications. How did the transition from staff positions to freelance happen? Was that an intentional choice? Was that accidental? It was a little bit of both. It was mostly accidental. Um, I always kind of sort of knew that I wanted to do freelance, but it was the plunge that I was never brave enough to take. But uh, after basically after kind of spending all my life getting out of the the daily uh, deadlines of newspapers to get to magazines, working seven years in Indianapolis monthly, then moving to Atlanta to work at Atlanta Magazine in that same capacity as a feature writer. Um, while I was in Atlanta, 
the the nature of the job kind of changed. Um, essentially, they were looking for more like daily coverage, more kind of daily crime coverage for the website. They started investing in, in digital, which makes sense is what people are doing. I was kind of the dinosaur that was like, I kind of want, I don't want to do that. I still want to wipe my, you know, what write my quirky features. Um, so instead of quitting, I just stopped doing the job to a satisfactory degree, and that caused an issue. My boss called me and was like, "This isn't working." Um, but he offered, he did offer me a, a a contract to write on a freelance basis, you know, for for the next six months, kind of a a transitional thing if I wanted it. At the same time, uh, Boston Magazine had had uh, flew, f- flown me in. Um, and offered me a staff writing job up there. So I had, it was a very, it was very much a fork in the road. I had to decide whether I was brave enough to do this thing that I thought I could kind of do with a little bit of a lifeline that my Atlanta editor gave me, or if I wanted to kind of keep on this track of, of trying to find, try, trying to find staff jobs and jumping from lily pad to lily pad, um, help break that tie. My wife was not going to move to Boston. So that was pretty much the way it was going to go. If I was going, I was going by myself. Uh, and that wasn't going to happen. So I took the plunge kind of being pushed off, um, and it worked out great within, you know, within six months, I, I didn't, I didn't go back to the contract. Uh, I was, I had plenty of, plenty of stuff to keep me afloat and that's five years ago. It's been great ever since. So I read some of your work from your portfolio and I want to talk about specifically your story titled, I grew up in a gas station. Oh, nice. Uh, for those listening, this is a piece Tony wrote for popular mechanics on how his childhood was shaped by his dad running a gas station. And it was such a cool and really personal piece, which Uh is why I was sort of drawn to it. Uh, you know, something, this is personality and, and talking about something that's so vulnerable, um, is something that journalists tend to avoid. So can you talk a little bit about your, your process in deciding to write this story about your um, I didn't do it until I thought I had something to say. Uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of just just essay for for essay's sake or memoir for memoir's sake. I think it's a good exercise, but I don't think I should expect anybody else to care unless it says something larger. And for me, it said something about. For, for, and it's interesting because I wrote that story kind of twice. And this is kind of the nature of freelancing. I've been talking in classes th- today about repurposing uh, stories. This one was for Popular Mechanics because I thought it was an illustration of the economics of, of running a gas station. The, re- the reality of my childhood was that, you know, people think you're making money off the gas, but you're not. So it's, it's kind of uncovering this economic reality that uh, gas station owners don't make money off gas. They make money off of what you come inside to buy. Um, then I repurposed that story uh, a couple of weeks ago for the Boston Globe. Um, as an ideas essay, as kind of the idea that the gas stations are disappearing now as, as we go. And it's a good thing. That, that's kind of the, the, the bittersweetness of it. Like this big part of my life that I love is disappearing. And it's, it's a positive thing that we're getting more fuel efficient vehicles, that we're going more electric, that this is, this is a dinosaur. It's going to be something that I miss, but, you know, like a smoking lounge. It's good that we're getting rid of it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to say it in the context of, of illustrating something larger that's going to be relevant to other people and not just a voyeuristic look into my childhood running around a gas station. Were there any challenges in pitching this story? No, it was a, it was a pretty quick yes uh, because it's such a weird thing. And, and that's kind of a cool thing as a writer. Like all other writers have a, have a different thing. You have that one thing that makes you different than any other writer. And I don't know anybody else that's ever grown up in a gas station. Um, so it was it was a pretty quick sell on that on that regard. The toughest thing about it was convincing my dad to let me write about him and he was he was very he was a little bit embarrassed especially about the the damn walmart thing which i thought was very endearing and is you know i think people can expect that kind of thing but he was he's not he's not used to being laid bare like that and so that was the only time i've really written about my family and it's it's a tough thing to write about 
How did your dad end up responding to it after it was published? Um, he he was he was supportive. I, I told him again, this is it's just putting food on your your granddaughter's table, um, or helping at least. Uh, not, that one paid pretty well, but uh, but yeah, no, he was still. It's it's weird. I think journalists. I say this all the time. I think we have the job that people understand the least. I think that's what's kind of led to this climate, this enemy of the public thing, and all that's happening now with this, this you know, vitriol, vitriol against journalists is that people really don't understand what we do or how we do it. Um, he still, it's still kind of a mystery to him. Like it's just appeared, and he also, what's a, what's a real mystery is like how many people are reading this. It's like lots of people are reading this. It's popular mechanics, and that's that was the other thing. If it if I had written it for like you know Esquire or GQ. He really wouldn't have understood it, but he understood Popular Mechanics. That's a, that's a magazine he knows. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, I, I talked to him while I was doing it. I obviously reported it by talking to him to get the economics down. And he, 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 he humors me. Great. So in talking about your past five years of freelancing, what has been one of the biggest challenges of freelancing? The big challenge is you kind of don't realize this when you're getting into it, but you're your own business. Um, you have to be your own IT person. You have to be your own accountant. Even though I have an accountant that does my taxes, you have to kind of run your own invoices and you have to run your own spreadsheets and things like that. And things that journalists typically, not to, not to generalize, but we're we're not good with numbers. We, that's why we're, we work with words, although there are a lot of great statistical journalists. Um, but yeah, you have to kind of cover those things. I mean, there are entire days I spend just chasing money down, like calling clients and being like, where's, where, where's this invoice? I sent it to you like two months ago. Where's my money? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, doing the old mob thing. Like, where's my money? Um, but, uh, so that's, that's the kind of things that, that you don't, um, that you don't really think about that you don't get to actually, you're not just writing, you're doing all these other things. And a lot of times you're really just selling yourself, but I've, I've found that's kind of fun. So it's not for everybody, but it's definitely a challenge in that regard. And it's also a challenge in that uh, the remoteness of it all. You lose the personal connection both just collegially with your with your you know your workmates, which I always had fun with because I'm a social animal. But you also lose, lose that person-to-person editing task. Like I was telling people today that most of my editors, almost all of them, I've never talked to on the phone, much less met in person. Like I couldn't recognize them. We just have a strictly email relationship. Um, and occasionally, like I have a couple editors that were Facebook friends now. But, you know, that's that's a big step <laughs> in the relationship. So. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's that was a little jarring and it's a challenge because it's hard to get better when you're doing that that way. Like you're not getting the intimate. You kind of have to force yourself to get better and kind of be your own best judge and en- enlist other writer friends to kind of critique your work for you. Not knowing if the gas station piece is your favorite piece that you've written, what has been a favorite story that you've gotten to work on for a long time? Um, uh, as a freelancer? Right. Wow, let me think. Uh, my favorite that I've gotten to work on. It's been, um, man, that's a good question. Um, I've had so many cool experiences. That's kind of the thing. Like, I've started to live more for the experience than for the actual story. <laughs> um, but I've gotten to do a lot of crazy things. I covered, like, crashed ice and, like, you know, gone up in a Red Bull air, airplane racer and threw up in it um you christened it kind of i had they gave me a bag and i I got it in the bag (laughs) and yeah that was that was pretty embarrassing that was i was was wild my subject she was she was flying the plane and uh, yeah it was it was our first interaction it was very interesting but there's video of it uh not of me puking but before it online yeah so yeah a lot of great experiences just just kind of getting to do stuff i mean it's the best job in the world we get to to do all kinds of stuff those are some of my favorites do you think that you get more out of these interactions with your sources because you lack this interaction with your with your workmates, I guess? I wonder. I, I do I do kind of glom onto it. Um, you're going to have a tough time getting me off here because I'm enjoying talking. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I wonder if it's actually making me socially awkward. You kind of you, you get inside your own head a little bit, and it's like 
do I, do I, am I still sociable? Like, am I, or am I just that, do they see me as How a, do this, I do this? Right. Is this, am I just a shut in that's just like puking words on people? You know, like, you can go now. So I wonder, because it's, I mean, social skills are like any other skill. If you don't use them, they, they get rusty, they erode. So uh, I wonder, I don't, I don't know. You, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing great. Thank you. Uh, so take me through a given writing day or session that, you know, I, I want to hear about your your process. Do you start with a pitch or do you start with the story? Um, it, and these things don't happen uh, day, every day. So every day is different, which is another great thing about the job. But in the process of a story, um, usually I'm and I'm doing one of all of these things at the same time. Um, I've, I've come I've worked together a pitch that I'm going to send to an editor, usually one I know, usually one I've worked with before. Occasionally it'll be somebody that I'm cold pitching, but that that's to me, that's kind of a waste of time sometimes if you have something that can fit somewhere else. Um, I put together a pitch. I do a little bit of reporting on it, just enough to know, to at least seem like I know what I'm talking about. Um, pitch a couple paragraphs, story like, this is why this is why the story is good for you. This is why I'm the person to write it. And here's what kind of shape it could take. Send it off. When I, when I get back, I'll get like a maybe. I usually get, don't ever get an immediate yes. Um, I get a little, few more questions that I can field and answer. Um, once I finally get the green light, which is an awesome moment where I can put it in my little spreadsheet, um, we discuss rate and deadline and travel. Those are usually the big things. Um, and then I set off to it and I, I kind of just do it. I make the phone calls. I, I set up the travel, um, you know, kind of within the schedule, kind of spinning the other place that I'm spinning. And then, um, when I write, usually I, it depends, it depends on what, what the thing is. But I always do my best writing in the morning. Like I'll get up at like 5 a.m. before everybody's up and or 4 and write um, until it's time to take my daughters to daycare um, before they go to school at about 7 o'clock. And from then, the day's on a downhill slope. Like um, my best writing is done by then usually. I'll usually do a little bit more writing before I go to, for a run, like 11, come back, eat lunch. Um, and then the rest of the afternoon is usually pitching again or – Fielding pitches, following up on things, uh, trying to set up interviews and stuff like that, more clerical stuff. So finally, we have an audience of students that are about to enter a very fluctuating workforce. Uh, so what advice would you offer to them as they are navigating the industry for the first time? Um, to, to get clips where you can, uh, but, but get paid for them. That's a big thing. There's a lot of people here in this, in this climate that are going to get try to take advantage. I mean, that's what, really what it is. Take advantage of young writers by saying, you're going to get this exposure. We don't need to pay you which is horse crap. It's what you do has value. You have skills that you're you paying right now in journalism school to, to hone and, and to accrue, and that's worth something. You need to start getting return on your investment. It will help you going forward. It will help me going forward because if you're doing it for free, you're undercutting me. Um, and we all need to do a better job of, of working together in that regard um, in a freelance community or in any kind of community. But you're going to get hired on your clips. That's, what I, that's one thing. And, and this was the same way when I was in journalism school too. I used to fret my grades just don't, I mean, I don't, teachers may not want me to say this. They don't mean anything. I can't, my, my last few jobs, nobody's ever asked for a resume, much less my GPA. Like they, they see my clips. That's what, that's what gets you a job is what you, what you can do your work. Um, and so that's, that's really what it is. That's what you got to focus on trying to get writing, paid writing wherever you can. But there are a lot of different places. I mean, there are lots of different online outlets. There are lots of like small town. I started at a small town weekly newspaper um, where I had nothing but space to write. Um, and none of that's online, thank God. But, uh, yeah, to get the clips wherever you can and, and, to, and to get better. That's the other thing I, I tell young writers. It was something I talked to in the class today, that it's a, hard, it's a hard thing to swallow when you're in your 20s and you're young and you're hungry and you, you just want to take on the world because that's when you have the passion to write. Uh, you need to learn to rein that in a little bit. But 
uh, I have a friend, uh, Justin Heckard, who's written for all kinds of publications, who he sent off one of his favorite stories f- from college to Walt Harrington, who's formerly of the Washington Post, one of, one of the great storytellers. Uh, he wanted a critique of it, and Walt essentially sent him a letter back saying, I'm not going to read it. it. It's no good, and I'll tell you why. And it was a very thoughtful, big letter that I go back to. It's because in order to write, what we write, we bring our experience to what we write. That's our voice. Um, and he's like, as he said, and I, I didn't agree with this, and I, I was indignant at the time, but now that I'm 40, I, I totally get it. You haven't lived long enough to be good. Like, if you're going to bring your if your voice in your writing is your experience, by the time you're 22, you don't have it yet. Like, you need to keep trying. You you can't get discouraged. You need to keep, like, shooting for the stars. But, like, expect that you're going to be – expect and hope that when you're 35, you're going to look back at what you wrote when you're 22 and hate it because that means you've done your job. Writing is the one thing that you really will get better with the more you do it. And given the current economic climate, we're going to be doing it forever as long as because we're not going to be able to retire. Um, and it's all we know how to do. Tony, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The Lead. I'm your host, Charlotte Norsworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with interesting media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.